Hi, my name is Catherine Elsden. I'm the minister at Bethel Maidstone United Church. This podcast is an opportunity for you to join us in the worship life of our congregation. This episode is the first in a five-part series entitled Food for the Soul. In the midst of this pandemic, eating together has seen new restrictions and taken on new significance. I thought it was an interesting time to explore the meaning and symbolism of food in the teachings of Jesus and in our everyday lives. Throughout the series, we're highlighting favorite recipes from members of our congregation. So find us on Facebook if you'd like to try out these recipes and cook and bake along with us as we reflect on the symbolism and significance of food in the Christian life. Our scripture reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he said he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting on the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost. And so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. The pandemic has changed every aspect of our lives, and that includes how we shop, cook, and eat our food. Have you found that to be true? Karan Liu, a culture and food reporter, um, speaking on the Toronto Star's podcast, This Matters, talked about how the pandemic has changed our food shopping habits. For example, we're taking fewer trips to the groceries, and when we do, we're buying larger amounts of stuff. That makes sense, right? We're trying to lower our exposure. But we're also buying more veggies and frozen foods and fewer convenience foods. We're grocery shopping more online than ever. And it's not just how we buy our food that has changed. It's the fact that so many of us are cooking for ourselves more often. 
When the pandemic first hit, right, everything was just shut down. All the restaurants, everyone was trying to still figure out takeout menus and people weren't dining out anymore. So recipe blogs and cooking websites just exploded. And we are cooking for ourselves more, just not out of necessity. It's become kind of a pandemic pastime, cooking and baking. Something to post about on social media. In this stressful time, it's something fun to do, right? A new recipe to try when we can't travel or seek other adventures. In this stressful time, it's also therapeutic to cook. A favorite meal can be comforting. It um, can be relaxing. It connects us with our past, with our friends and family, with our culture, with our identity, with who we are. Throughout this series on food, I'm gonna highlight some of the recipes that you have been sharing with me. And today's recipe is very much about belonging. And I have a, oh, a, a card up there, it's already up. It's a recipe for pot au feu, a traditional French stew, and this comes to us from Lonnie. Um, the name translates as pot on the fire, but Lonnie referred to it as fire pot, which I quite liked. Tomatoes, mushrooms, beef, and beans in a hearty broth flavored with chili sauce, horseradish, ginger, and garlic. It's a stew that it would have traditionally been slow cooked over the fire for hours. This one is slow cooked in the oven. What I love about this recipe is that, you know, people just don't get their typewriter out to type onto a cue card anymore, do they? This stew was a family favorite, Lonnie says, on his mother's side. His mother's family can be traced back to northern France in the district of Malifon. Lonnie's great-grandfather immigrated to Quebec where he married Lonnie's great-grandmother. They moved with their 10 children, six girls and four boys, to McGregor, Ontario, where they intermarried later on with the, uh, the predominantly French population in McGregor. So firepot, as Lonnie calls it, was a family favorite. This recipe serves six, so I'm guessing your great-grandparents would have had to at least double this recipe to serve the whole family. Lonnie's firepot dish connects him to his family heritage. It's food that does that, connects us to who we are. It speaks to a core part of our identity. And that is true also for our identity as Christians. Food connects us to who we are. Biblical history virtually begins with food. You think of Adam and Eve in the garden eating the forbidden fruit. And throughout the Bible, food continues to play an essential role. And it's not, just as today, it's not just about nourishing our bodies. Eating together in scripture was imbued with sanctity. At Mount Sinai, for example, Moses and the elders dined together to seal their covenant with God. Jacob and his father, Laban, also shared a meal to seal a pact in Genesis chapter 31. And of course, we can think of the Last Supper, right? One of the most iconic meals in scripture. It's rich with covenant significance, and its elements went on to play a, a core role in Christian theology and liturgy. So stories of food in the Bible reflect the culture, customs, landscape, and technologies of a specific time and place. Just as 
Moses would need an explanation for the McDonald's drive-through Happy Meal, so too we need to unpack um, the, the stories of food and the customs around food in the Bible to really understand the richness of those, the meaning. In biblical times, eating together, for example, was a sign that peace had come between the diners. Isaac shares a grand meal with his old fa family rival, Abimelech, as a sign of reconciliation after their quarrel over use of the well at what became Beersheba. Still among the desert-dwelling Bedouin, many of whose customs can be traced back to the Bible, inviting someone into your tent and serving them a meal is synonymous with extending protection. So a meal shared was representative of peace and protection and the value of hospitality. Hospitality to guests was a very important aspect in Jesus' day. Food was a prime means of giving and receiving hospitality, just as it is today. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus instructs his disciples, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is served before you, eat what is set before you, which actually, actually um, sounds remarkably like instructions, a pep talk my mother used to give us in the van ride over to my aunt's for dinner. Serve, eat what is set before you. So hospitality is a main objective, but that doesn't mean that just anything goes at the table in Jesus' day. There were many customs mandating how people dined together. A specific seating order was followed, extending even to who took their seat first. Precedence was given to age, so the most senior guest was seated first all the way to the junior. And this custom of seating order seems to be one of the most ancient in biblical tradition. It's mentioned in Joseph's reunion feast with his brothers. This is from Genesis 43. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest. Seniority in seating order might have also reflect, been reflected in the disciples' argument at the Last Supper as to which of them would be accounted the greatest. So customs like seating order dominated the experience at the table, but even words like table and seating meant something different in Jesus' time. In the Greek New Testament, the word most often used for table is triclinium, which indicates the diners were actually reclining on the floor, on couches and pillows around a three-sided table. Tables in that time, this was, that was a, a traditional way to eat in the Roman world, and tradi traditionally tables of that time were either made of wood or stone, and they were made in two parts. So there was a base, and then there was a top part, almost like a large tray, that would be picked up and carried away to be cleared off after dining. Before eating, a bowl for hand washing was offered to guests according to seniority. The washing of hands was primarily uh, ceremonial, right? They didn't have germ theory back then. So washing your hands before dinner, that's kind of something that's familiar to us. Maybe less familiar was the custom of washing your feet before dinner. They think this was probably an aesthetic concern. The look and smell of feet while you're reclining together around a table is less appetizing. And it's a custom that comes from a desert community, right? Where feet would be sweaty and sandy when you entered a home. So once you were washed and correctly seated or reclining, eating itself looked different. In Jesus' time, there were knives and spoons, forks, 
became popular later in the Middle Ages. Um, but the custom was to eat with your hands around the table. There was actually quite an elaborate dipping technique as people shared uh, dishes from common bowls. You took a modest piece of bread or a palm leaf and dipped into the bowl. Never use your fingers. I think that's still good advice, right? Never dip with your fingers. Dipping also followed seniority. So the junior guest was never to be the first one to eat. If you're eating raw vegetables, it was more polite to break off a piece, a bite-sized piece, and eat it than it would have been to grab a hold of it and bite with your teeth. People drank from a shared cup, but the expectation was that you would wipe the rim before you passed it to your neighbor. All this to say that while eating together, it's such a universal experience, how we eat and what we eat is very much a reflection of our time and place. It speaks volumes about our custom, our values, our culture and identity. And that is why Jesus uses food to make bold statements about who he is and what he values. In our gospel reading today, Jesus is walking along the sea and he calls to a man named Levi. Levi is a tax collector. He was sitting at a tax booth, probably one of the many customs booths that uh, were placed alongside major thoroughfares and waterways or bridges. They collected customs for the regime of Herod Antipas. As a tax collector, Levi had a couple things against him. First of all, he would have been considered ritually unclean because he was dealing on a regular basis with Gentiles and Gentile money. But the second strike against him was that he was profiting from the oppressive Roman regime. So he would have been looked upon as a traitor in his own community. Jesus says to this outsider, Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up and he follows. Levi must have been so moved. I don't know if he felt honored or excited or grateful, but he was moved enough to invite Jesus and Jesus' disciples over for a feast, over to his own home for dinner that day. The literal, literal translation um, of that scripture passage is that Jesus was reclining at table in his house. So we know what that means. That was the traditional way of eating. This isn't a quick bite to eat. He was reclining in the style of a Roman feast. Levi doesn't just invite the disciples and Jesus. He invites his friends. It says tax collectors and sinners joined them in Levi's house. Levi trusted that Jesus would welcome the opportunity to eat with people who are religiously and socially marginalized. But the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they don't get it. They don't understand. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, they ask. And Jesus overhears this question and he responds. He responds by likening himself to a physician. He goes where he is needed to the sick. The Pharisees maintain their righteousness by keeping their distance from contagion. But Jesus flouts ancient social distancing customs. He, he flouts purity rules in order to bring God's welcome and righteousness exactly where it's needed. In the second half of our reading, Jesus is questioned again. 
why aren't he and his disciples fasting like the disciples of John and the Pharisees? The disciples of John and the Pharisees are fasting in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. What they don't understand is that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, is in their midst now. It would be like shutting the party down when the bride and groom are still at their wedding celebration. Jesus says, now is not the time for fasting. Now is the time for feasting and celebration, just as one celebrates at a wedding banquet when the bridegroom is still there. So in both of these examples, these teaching moments around food, around with who you eat and around not eating, Jesus is describing a new reality that he is bringing into the present moment. This new reality of Christ's presence requires new behaviors, new responses, a new lifestyle. Old established patterns just won't suffice. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. We need to change. Levi and his friends, they get it. They recognize the new order of things and they feast in the presence of the bridegroom. And because we know the significance of eating together at this time, we know what that meal shared with Levi and the other tax collectors and sinners means. This shared meal symbolizes reconciliation, peace, welcome, protection. Jesus' table fellowship reveals a God who welcomes everyone regardless of social status. By that meal, Jesus demonstrates to Levi and his friends that they belong in the kingdom of God, that they belong in the family of God. As Pastor Gary Charles puts it, to be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean to separate oneself from sin and sinners, but to acknowledge that we are all sinners, and yet we are all welcome to recline at table with a Lord who forgives sin and transforms sinners into righteous followers. Anyone, wherever they are on the journey of faith, is welcome at the table of Jesus. And for that I say thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening. Part two of this series will focus on bread and Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. Until then, may God bless you and keep you.